Alright, hello there everyone. It's another episode of the 411 Ground and Pound MMA podcast. We are your weekly look into the wide, wacky, wonderful world of mixed martial arts. I'm Robert Winfrey, I'm your host for the show. Let's start out with the usual. Please do like, comment, subscribe, share uh, this particular product anywhere. Whatever your, uh, whatever your podcast platform of choice happens to be. There's a lot of them. Uh, if you could interact with it just a little bit. You've already subscribed, and I'm eternally grateful for that already. Uh, give us a, again, share us around on your favorite social media platform. Uh, most of these have some kind of way to interact with with individual episodes. If not, then a review for the overall network. Whatever you think we're worth, somewhere between one and five, probably closer to five than one, all things considered. Eh, anyway, so if you would do that. Always, always, always appreciated. Thank you all very much. Tonight on the agenda, last night, UFC 260. That was a card. Uh, and then a bit of news, but tomo- uh, next week, the 10th? Not the 10th. Uh, the 3rd. Sorry. 10th, there is an event. There is not one on the 3rd, so a rare Saturday off, I assume. It's because of the holidays. Uh, oh, speaking of, too many Jewish fans that we have listening, happy Passover, or whatever the appropriate greeting is. I apologize for not knowing that. Now, if you're observing that, then hope you're you know, enjoying it. We'll have Easter for uh, the Christian segment next week. And uh, yeah, just that time of the year, we get a few of these, uh, yeah, just a few holidays kind of in somewhat close proximity to each other. So thank you for all of that. Uh, so we got that. couple of news items. Nothing too crazy. Most of what we're going to be talking about is related to UFC 260 and the resultant fallout. So let's go ahead and jump right into that, shall we? UFC 260. Mentioned this last week. We lost our co-main event when we had the uh, Volkanovski test positive for COVID. He said he tested negative when he entered the UFC bubble and that was tested positive, which, uh, I first of all, I believe. Second, doesn't speak all that well for the UFC's uh, isolationist protocols, does it? Uh, anyway, so uh, we lost another couple of events in the lead-up to this fight. Let me. We lost some weird stuff. Um, we lost the Jessica Penne and Hannah Goldie fight. We lost half of the fight between Alonzo Menafield and William Knight when Knight tested positive for COVID. Uh, we were supposed to get... Yeah, we were supposed to get a heavyweight fight between Blagoy Ivanov and Marcin Tabora. Dodged a bullet on that one when it fell apart. And we lost Random Marcos and Luana Pinahiro. I'm going to just butcher that woman's name until I know how to pronounce it. And see, there was supposed there was talks about Jimmy Crute and Johnny Walker being on this card. Walker got injured. Crute's now fighting Anthony Smith at UFC 261. Uh, the end result of all of this is that the entire card had ten fights on it, and I was so happy. Uh, nice, fairly straightforward. Still a still not even the longest event actually. This was under six hours. I think, start to finish. That might have been helped along a bit by the number of finishes that we got over the course of this event, but either way, 
Again, a sub-six-hour UFC event start to finish is a rarity these days, and uh, I'll take it. I will always take those. In the main event, Francis Ngannou redeems a pre uh, his first loss in the UFC, knocks out Stipe Miocic in the second round, and I gotta tell you, this was not an especially close fight. I... <sighs> I picked Stipe. I said I wouldn't be shocked if Francis won. I'm not shocked that he won. I'm not even shocked at how he won. Not in the sense that he got a knockout, but more in that he was able to display elements of his game that seemed to just kind of open everything up. Uh, he came out, he landed some good leg kicks. Uh, Nganu is not the kind of leg kick artist that will stop you with them. But he's very good about troubling you with them. There has been the last few fights. He started using them, and they've been a really nice uh, asset. He'll get you off balance, he'll you know, break your stance, and then either blitz you, or just get you thinking about the fact that he could kick you in the leg very, very hard. Uh, he he rocked Stipe once. He caught Stipe with a right hand in the first round, but I don't, I don't know what Stipe Miocic's chin is made of, but... Wow, that man can take a punch. I mean, the same punch that uh, the same punch that Ngannou landed in the first. Curtis Blades ate that punch and fell over. Uh, Junior ate punches similar. Uh, There's another sequence actually where Stipe was getting up. He tried a single leg. He tried basically the same takedown that worked for him in their first fight, and it didn't work this time. Ngannou was better about stuffing the head, getting back to the fence, moving away from it, disengaging. Getting his leg back to the floor and then sprawling away to break the grip, spun to the back and started landing punches as Stipe was getting up. These are the kind of punches that stopped both uh, Junior Dos Santos and Curtis Blades in there. I mean, Blades fell over from that first one, then those kind of punches stopped him. Uh, <clears throat> he's. And Stipe just kind of got up, ate a glancing head kick not that long after that. Uh, Stipe's just. And again, his chin is made of otherworldly stuff. Whatever else you want to say about Stipe Miocic, that is a... That's a man, you know? That is... Uh, he was... I'll get to Stipe more in depth in a second. So, first round goes to Nganu. Second round... You know, the old adage, it's the ones you don't see coming that hurt you the most. Uh, Nganu kind of fakes a right, gets a lunging left kind of shovel hook... Uh, cracks Stipe, drops him, punches him on the ground. He fights back up because Stipe, as has mentioned, Stipe Miocic is a man. Uh, gets up, lands a. Uh, Nganu overchases with a punch, and Miocic cracks him with a pretty good right. It looked, uh, you know, Nganu got a little bit off balance, and whether that's purely balance or he was a little bit shaken up by the punch because Stipe hits very hard, or you know, some combination of the two. Stipe decides, screw it, going in, walks into a check left hook, and folds over his back leg like an, accor like, just like an accordion, man. Blomp. One hammer fist later, and we're... The hammer fist is perfunctory, and we're done. Francis Ngannou has become the UFC heavyweight champion of the world. He has comprehensively, in this fight, defeated the most accomplished UFC heavyweight champion of all time. Uh... Yeah, there's not a whole lot else to say here. On the broadcast, Joe Rogan gave a recitation of Francis Ngannou's life. 
a very brief one, and what he overcame to get to the position he'd been in. There's a couple of videos from the MMA channel Mixed Molly Whoppery that detail Francis Ngannou. One is uh, like blood, sweat, and tears, and the other is through hell, I think, something like that. Uh, you can find those on that YouTube channel, which is a... Uh, it, it's a Mixed Molly Whoppery is essential uh, content for any more hardcore MMA fan, and even casual fans would be benefited by, by watching his kind of long-form narrative explanatory videos and video essays. Uh, it's really good stuff, and you know, the story of Vinganu's life thus far is uh, fairly dramatic. <laughs> and now he sits atop the heavyweight division. Uh, this, I'm going to be a little nitpicky here, so forgive me. In Ganu's first couple of punches, he's really gone out of his way to tighten those up. So they're not as looping. They're a little bit straighter. And they've been, so they land a little bit more often. A lot more often, actually. His, his technique falls a little bit apart on the third. Again, once he starts over-chasing a little bit, the first two are usually pretty good. And then the left hook, for example... Uh, one of the ones he swung at Stipe was an ugly, ugly punch from, like, way behind his own uh, his own shoulder. It, it missed, and then he got countered for it. Then he resettled himself, and the follow-up left hook, the one that ended things, was a much nicer punch uh, with a much better read on the angle that uh, Stipe was taking. So he slipped a little bit off the center line, left hook, and we're done. So he, there's still a little bit there, and... Um, I'm st I would still like to see him over a longer distance, but through a round and a half, not even that, through s less than six minutes of fighting, there was one point when he got a little bit tired in the first. He got, st again, he kind of got Stipe down against the fence or a little bit hurt, and he looked to unload. And it's pretty clear that given his musculature, when he tries to empty the tank like that, he could fatigue himself. Now, to his credit... He backed off, read the situation appropriately, recomposed himself, and went back about his business. But I would, I, I do still think there's an exploitable reality there when it comes to his uh, his cardio. Now, whether you can survive the damage he's able to dish out or force him out of his comfort zone in terms of the pace remains to be seen. One of the nice things that he did here was he didn't bite on Stipe's feints the same way he did in the first. If you watch their first fight, anytime Stipe jabs him up a little bit, uh, leg kicks him a few times, and then after that, every time he feints anything, Nganu starts winding up for his counters. Those big motions contributing to his fatigue and providing openings for Stipe to then exploit. It was a, it really was a great performance from Stipe in their first fight, and a s significant credit to Nganu for plugging those holes. I mean, there's some of there's some aspects of his game that are just never going to be great. You know, the, the man's never going to be, you know, top-shelf jiu-jitsu competitor. He'll he'll grab some guys from time to time, I'm sure. Uh, but he's, you know, that's just not going to be his game. So, finding a very specific issue that he had, that of, you know, biting on everything and getting him to relax that a little bit, changed his stance up a touch. His hips were a little bit further back. He was a little bit less upright. Uh, that uh, that seems to be a specific consideration he had for Stipe. If you look at his past couple of fights, he was a little bit more upright through the torso. In this one, a little bit more hunched, very cognizant of it. 
using his kicks a lot more. He showed southpaw, which I don't think he'd really done before. I mean, he'd he'd show it on occasion, but he hadn't used it for anything. And this one, he showed it and then would, you know, throw a left kick, especially to the head. That it's a pretty power. I mean, the man is an extraordinarily strong human being, so he throws that kick up there, and it's something to be respected. Uh, this was easily the best performance of Ngannou's career. I mean, hands down, by a mile, the most composed, the most uh, technically proficient. Uh, this was... It, I'm not saying... Again, I'm not saying Francis Ngannou is unbeatable. He's not, no one is. But you, whoever is going to beat him at this point... Uh, that is a hard mountain to climb. <laughs> the, that is just going to be a really, really difficult thing to pull off. Not impossible, but I think the notion of beating Francis Ngannou via one or two easily exploitable things, put those in air quotes, like, oh, you just have to wrestle him. Uh, that wasn't even necessarily true to begin with, much less now. Uh, he's... Again, he's going to lose at some point again. Everyone does, and heavyweight is... I mean, look, they might wind up going for a trilogy with Stipe. Not right away, but that that still might happen. And Miocic might adjust a enough to beat, him a, to beat him a second time. Wouldn't shock me. But beating Francis Ngannou at this point, uh, yeah, that's going to take a serious, serious effort. And... and Probably a little bit of luck, and I say luck in the sense that, you know, there's things completely beyond your control when you get into the cage. Some of those you're just going to have to break his way, whoever fights him, when they get into the cage with him, and there's nothing else that can be done about that. So yeah, all hail the new king. It is Francis Ngannou, and we'll see how long he reigns. What comes next has been... Oh, it's been one of those things. So, before the event, in fact, the day of the event, Dana White was quoted as saying that John Jones has next at heavyweight. That he will fight the winner of this fight. Uh, he's you know, been bulking up in preparation for the move to heavyweight. He's apparently in the 240 range-ish for his weight at the moment. And he wants to fight for the belt. This is a great fight. John finally moving up to heavyweight. You have the new champion in Francis Ngannou, a wrecking machine, who will be taking on one of, in, probably in my estimation, the the you know the best fighter the sport's ever seen in John Jones. Whether John is still the best at this moment, eh, remains to be seen. But it's an easy fight. It's a sell, and. Instead, at the post-fight press conference, Dana White said, you know, the fight to make is with Derek Lewis. I wonder what happened. I said that sarcastically. I know what happened. John had financial concerns and demands about this fight, which he should have, and the UFC is now publicly negotiating slash strong-arming him to accept different terms for this fight. By, again, they're indicating, no, we'll just throw Derek Lewis in there and no one will care about John Jones. <sighs> Which, from a purely mechanical perspective, is certainly something they could do. Uh, look, guys, I'm not here to crap on Derek Lewis. All right, let me start off with that. He 
knocked out Curtis Blades in his last fight. He's on a good run. He holds a win over Francis. In fact, he's won, he and Stipe are the only two that have beaten him in the UFC. But I remember their first fight. It was the second worst fight of that entire year. The only thing I saw worse was CM Punk and Mike Jackson. Their fight was awful. It was abysmal. It's one of the worst fights. It is one of the worst heavyweight fights in the history of the UFC. Certainly one of the worst three-round heavyweight fights you'll ever see in the history of the UFC. It's a boring, unactive, just nothing happens. Nothing happens in that fight. Nothing. (laughs) It's, It's bizarre. Time passes. But nothing happens. It's awful. And Dana White rightly buried that fight the night after. We all did. I did. I assume you did. No one liked that fight. Now, again, that that is not to say that there's not a case for Derek Lewis to have to have earned a heavyweight shot to have earned a shot at the title. He's again, he's got a win over this new champion, and he's got a good run going. There's a case. But let's not pretend that what's ha- that this is anything more than what it is. The UFC is negotiating in public. They don't like John's financial demands, so they're trying to they're trying to negotiate publicly. Now I expect we'll get a bit more clarity on this in the coming days. Again, I'm recording this on Sunday evening, so Monday morning there will probably be some news about uh, this particular about what's going on in the future here. I tend to think that we're going to get Jones and Ngannou. It's a big fight. And the UFC will <laughs> cut a bunch of guys to make room <laughs> to help pay for it, I guess. I don't know. Um, look, I don't want to rehash fighter pay, right? I don't. I've talked about it in the past. You've heard me talk about it. <sighs> but there's a ridiculous narrative that gets trotted out whenever John does whenever this happens with John in particular that somehow John is afraid the same people who are willing correctly to point out all the issues about fighter pay i mean Dan Hardy had a story that came out he talked about his fight with GSP main event for a UFC pay-per-view let me want to make sure i have the numbers right okay so he fights GSP for the title at Oh, uh, what was it? I can't remember the event. Let me look that up real fast. Cause, uh, it's only fair to appropriately mention that. UFC 111. Dan Hardy fights George St. Pierre for the UFC welterweight title. According to Dan Hardy, and I don't have a lot of reason to think he's lying about this, he made, he uh, he f- was paid, his show uh, was $24,000 for a pay-per-view, main event, title fight. That's criminal in and of itself. However, when it's all said and done, after he paid his trainers, his coaches, his taxes, what he wound up putting in the bank of that twenty-four grand was $5,400. For a UFC pay-per-view against the biggest star they had, or certainly one of them, 
and an event in particular that profited the UFC, not gross, profit. The UFC profited on that event $18.3 million. And he walked, and when it was all said and done, Dan Hardy walked away with a little over five grand. Please, do not, there is no debate about fighter pay. There just isn't. But a lot of people who will correctly point out that fighters are not fairly compensated get, uh, they will ignore that when a fighter that they don't like or is, or is very successful or both says, hey, I deserve to be fairly compensated. Look, John is historically underpaid. That's, that's just the facts of it. Uh, not only is that, look, every fighter in the UFC is underpaid and has been for at least 10 years, probably more. And we know this. There is no, again, there is no debate. Court documents from when the UFC was sued expressly go over the UFC's financials. I've mentioned this before, You, uh, the places you can find this information. But uh, John Nash, uh, writing over at Bloody Elbow, has done a, I think he's one of the ones who's done a lot of work into this. There's a lot. There's a lot of people. It's a, we know the money. We know that the UFC wants to keep its fighter compensation at less than 20% of net yearly revenue. And they do. I mean, I mean, I, they currently claim it's around 20, but they include how much they pay USADA to be their drug testing facility, and I don't, as part of fighter compensation, which I find to be ridiculous. So I tend to think it's less than 20%. So less than 20% of the UFC's yearly revenue goes to the fighters, all of them. That's it. Uh, they uh, unless they've committed multiple felonies to hide that they pay fighters more which would be stupid considering what they're being sued for this is it again it's the end of the discussion <laughs> we're done now you might think that this is really bad for the fighters who come in and make very little money that's true if you however the other, the other flip side of this model, if you look at the top end of fighters, they are more underpaid, given the value they bring, than people on the, than, you know, the guy debuting uh, on the undercard. People don't pay to see most, I hate to say this in, unkindly, if you're debuting in the promotion on the earliest Fight Plus slash ESPN Plus prelims, I'm going to go out on a limb and say... You are not drawing big crowds yet. You might in the future. And you still, all you fighters, you still deserve more than the 15 and 15 that the UFC is paying you. But John Jones has drawn via his name and his presence and his fights tens, if not hundreds of millions of dollars for the UFC over his tenure. That man is underpaid. There's no, there's, there's mathematically no argument against it. You may not like John. I'm not saying you should. <laughs> but he is, relative to what he has brought to the UFC, that man's underpaid. Connor's underpaid. 
Uh, Khabib was almost certainly underpaid. Like, these are... This is just kind of the way that is, based on this model. So when John says, I'm going to move up to heavyweight, I'm going to assume more risk, I'm going to give you one of the biggest fights of the year that when it happens, and make no mistake about this, John Jones, heavyweight debut against Francis Ngannou, heavyweight champion for the UFC heavyweight title, is going to be one of the biggest fights the UFC puts on in any given calendar year. In fact, given the current crop of talent available, it might be the biggest. Uh, some of that's going to depend on, again, what, what McGregor's doing. But if John and Francis fight this year, that's probably your second biggest pay-per-view of the year. It would probably be behind uh, the uh, the aforementioned McGregor and, uh, McGregor and Poirier. That would probably still be bigger. And Adesanya versus Blahovich was a surprisingly high success, but I but John and Francis would be bigger than that. I feel very confident saying that. Uh, it's just gonna be one of those big, big fights. And and, and look, look, for the record, should probably pay you should probably pay Francis more for that fight too. I, I don't want to seem like I'm just out here advocating on behalf of John on John's position. Look, Francis should be making more money than he is. That seems fairly non-controversial. <laughs> for that fight in particular. So, yeah, I think we're going to get there. But the UFC might cut off its nose to spite its face in that and throw Derek Lewis out there. Uh, you've also, Again, you also have... I mean, there's also an unavoidable question about what you do with Stipe Miocic. Miocic, God. Emphasis on, is on the me, not the O. I mean, you, he is the best heavyweight champion the UFC's ever had. That's just by the metrics. He's got two titles. He, he has two title reigns. He has the most consecutive title defenses in the history of the division at four. Uh, what are the other things he has? He has, uh, sorry, he has three successful title defenses, three consecutive. Su- three consecutive title defenses overall in his first reign, which is the record. Uh, that, that did, in fact, break the record. <laughs> he has two in his second. Oh, sorry, one in his second. He beat Cormier. He beat Cormier to regain it. And then, so he has four overall. He might have the... I would have to double-check this. But he probably has either the most or second most total successful defenses of the UFC heavyweight title. It's either him or Tim Sylvia. And I'm not sure which one. Arlovsky wound up with, I think, one or two. Uh, let me have a look, actually. Let's see if we can find that. If we look through the history of the title, which is odd. Um, let's see. Sylvia's first reign had one. Sylvia's second reign had two. So he's at, so two, so three title defenses across two reigns. Randy had, look at Randy, actually. Couture's first title reign had none. It was weird. He had a contract dispute after he won the belt. Came back, won it, defeated Pedro, then defeated Pedro Hizzo twice. Uh, so he, 
Those would be his two defenses. Second time he had one when he beat. So his third title reign, he defeated Gonzaga. So he has three across two defenses across two reigns. Brock had two. Junior had one. Kane's second title reign had two. Yeah, Stipe has the most successful defenses of the UFC heavyweight title. Not only three consecutive, but overall, across both of his title reigns, he has the most. He has four. Uh, it's... <laughs> I mean, his total, his first reign was 785 days. His second was, so he has spent a total of almost 1,400 days as champion. And he's the most successful heavyweight champion the UFC has ever had. He's got the most post-fight bonus awards in the heavyweight division at nine. Pretty sure that's still accurate. Uh, yeah, he's he is the most he's the most successful heavyweight champion that the UFC has ever seen, and is unquestionably one of the best heavyweights the sport's ever seen. If you argue he's the best, I'm not going to argue that hard against you. There's a very very real argument for that. Now. Unfortunately for Stipe, the way this fight went, I don't think there's a case for an immediate rematch. Uh, there's And there's no established criteria for what who warrants an immediate rematch. It's very fungible. It's very much whatever the UFC wants in the moment, slash whatever the fans argue and advocate for in the moment. And I... So... Uh, Miocic is probably gonna need another fight in the interim. If, and I don't know who that would be against. He's beaten a lot of those guys. Uh, look up the full, I haven't looked at heavyweight, the heavyweight rankings in a while. So let's assume that, the, uh, the rankings haven't been updated yet, but let's assume that Miocic and Nganu are gonna swap places at champion number one. You have Lewis, Blades, Gon, Volkov, Rosenstreich, Abdurakhimov, Harris, Sakai, and Chris Dawkus that make up your top ten. What could we do with that? Um, there's there's actually some fresh matchups for him there. He could fight Blades. Blades is going to need a rebound after that, after getting knocked out by Derek Lewis, and if he beats Stipe, uh, that would be a big win for him. Uh, Gone just beat Rosenstrike. Not a great performance, though, so he might still need another one. Volkov's out there hanging around, and he just uh, he just beat Alistair Overeem out of the UFC. Uh, Miocic and Volkov would be a heck of a fight. Yeah, there's fights you can make for him there, but he, I think he is going to need one more before he potentially is, you know, in a position to get a, to get another shot at, uh, at that belt. But he and in, there's also no getting around the fact that he and Ngannou are one and one. If Stipe wins a fight or two, uh, you wind up just making that fight, I think. Uh Yeah, it's it's just kind of how that is. Uh, so for Nganu, it's either going to be John Jones or Derek Lewis. It should be John, I think. That's the biggest fight for everyone. Uh, but 
who knows? Who knows how stringy? Who knows how stingy the UFC is going to be about this when it comes to their financials? They might, they might deprive themselves and everyone of that fight just because they want to. Who knows? But that's kind of what's next for both guys. For again, for Stipe, you're going to be looking at someone like uh, Blades Gone or uh, Blades Gone or Volkov. I think one of those three is probably his next fight. Uh, unless, I don't know, unless Lewis wants that. You could do him and Derek, I mean, him and Derek Lewis is a fight that hasn't happened. It would be a perfectly fine fight. Then the winner would, if Stipe were to beat Derek Lewis, given the run Lewis is currently on, yeah, he might, he might be able to get that one win and then go, hey, I beat a guy, I beat the only other guy that beat you, Francis, uh, I want my, I want a shot back. Yes, that, of course, assumes Ngannou beats John, which is not at all a given. So, again, one of those guys, you know, any of those fights are fine fights for him. But, you know, the other thing about, the other thing about Stipe, he's 38, and heavyweight ages differently, uh, for whatever reason. But he's had some pretty, he's had some pretty rough fights his last few. His last four fights have been rough. Because those... His last five. His last five fights have all been against... Two of them have been against Ngannou. Three of them have been, have been against Daniel Cormier. That's a hard stretch of fights. That's just a rough stretch. And that adds up. So, whether he ever gets back to the title level or not, he's already, secu- he's already secured his legacy, man. Again, most successful heavyweight the UFC's ever produced. Uh, just... At the moment, by a fair margin. I don't really care who you think number two is. Uh, if we're talking just about the UFC, obviously. Uh, there's arguments to be made for a few different people. But at the top of the heavyweight, of the historic heavyweight rankings right now for the UFC, uh, Stipe Miocic stands atop that. Uh, and even if he's closer to retirement than not, and I tend to think he is, uh, he he had an all time he had an all time great career, man. And that's not me writing his career eulogy at all. That's just a just saying it how I see it. All right, that was your main event. Uh, only got into the second round, but uh, was good for what it was, all things considered. Co-main event: Vicente Luque defeated Tyron Woodley via submission. This was a Darce choke at 3:56 of the first. Um, this was your fight of the night. And it was wild for as long as it lasted. Tyron Woodley, whatever else you want to say about him in this fight, came out and bum-rushed Luque with punches. He was... Whatever else... Come hell or high water in this fight, Tyron Woodley was not going to simply circle the fence, get controlled, and lose another decision. He made that decision... And he went out there and he tried. And he clobbered Luke a couple of times. Hit him with a right hand that seemed to kind of you know, wobble him again, like twice. Luke clinched him on the fence, controlled him for a bit, got his bearings back. Kind of got whacked again. But Woodley going in for the kill was countered with a beautiful short right from Luke. Uh, Woodley just got too aggressive. He was swinging a bit wide and it's important to... 
When you talk about someone being defensively responsible, that's not just when you're on defense. It's when you're on offense. If you stop being defensively responsible one, once you start throwing punches, that's how you get countered. That's what happened here. Woodley got rocked. Luke backed him into the fence, looked to unload. They clinched briefly, separated, traded again. Woodley was badly hurt. Uh, I forget exactly how that takedown happened. I think Woodley went for one. Luke sprawled back. Like, spun to his back, transitioned from there into the Dars. Took a minute to lock it up, but did it. But you got it locked up. Woodley taps. Uh, and again, I don't disagree with this being fight of the night at all. Uh, good fight from both Good fight from both gentlemen. Biggest win of Vicente Luque's career. He is the first person to finish Tyron Woodley by submission, period. And he's the first person to finish... Uh, Woodley's only been finished twice in the UFC prior to this. Uh, not once in the UFC, excuse me. The only other guy to finish him in the UFC was Colby Covington when his ribs separated. Prior to that, you have to go all the way back to his strike force fight with Nate Marquardt when Marquardt knocked him out with elbows in the clinch in a brutal finishing sequence. But to go that long against the level of opposition that he did without getting finished i mean first of all without getting submitted so just straight up in his career never been tapped out until this point any other guy that finished him that didn't happen early the the marquardt finish was i want to say in round four yeah 139 of the fourth then and he goes on his run in the ufc knocks out jay heron loses to jake shields wins a couple gets comprehensively beaten by Roy McDonald, goes on his very impressive run, knocks out Dong Yun Kim, decisions Gastelum, knocks out Lawler, draws with Thompson, decisions Thompson, decisions Maya, taps out Darren Till. I mean, it's a good run. Then, you know, then the wheels fall off. <laughs> Kamaru Usman beats him, Burns beats him, Covington finishes him in the fifth via injury, and Luca taps him out. I mean... The reality is Tyron Woodley is going to be 39 years old uh, in April. So not that long from now. He's already accomplished everything he's going to accomplish. The UFC might cut him after this. I mean, the saving grace that he has, and if he has a saving grace here, it's that he came out for this fight and put on a fight that was very engaging to the fans which you know, certainly had not been the case for a while. And that might earn him, you know, enough goodwill for one more maybe, but I'm going to talk about Woodley here. I'll get to Luke in a second. At 39, with with your title reign behind you already, and a, you know, good... He is... I tend to think Woodley is probably the third best welterweight champion the UFC's had. He's behind GSP and Usman at the moment. But he is at no worse, what, the fifth? He's somewhere in that top five UFC welterweight champions. Uh, I mean, you got GSP at the top. 
Then behind GSP is, I don't know, if you're overly nostalgic, Matt Hughes. If you're maybe a bit... I tend to think Usman. I mean, especially now that he has as many title defenses as he does. Uh, I think you've probably got Usman at second. And it'll take a lot of work for him to surpass GSP's title reign, but who knows? He might do it. Or he might get knocked out by Jorge Masvidal and the whole thing gets upended. Who knows? I don't expect that to happen for the record, but it might. Uh, so, yeah, he's somewhere in that top five. And I don't know. It's it's just hard at 39 with the... Especially if you look at how things are trending. So he's now lost 15 consecutive... He lost 15 consecutive rounds coming into this. when And he had the injury in the 15th round of, of that string when he fought uh, Covington. Now in his 16th round... He gets tapped out. Uh, again, this is just not trending in a positive direction. I don't... I, mean, I am no one to tell him he should or should not do whatever. I do tend to think that he m should be seriously considering retirement. I mean, what else are you going to do? You know, you... There was an argument about those previous three guys. Usman, current champion, best welterweight in the world. Demonstrated that at this point several times. Burns. On the come up, fought for the belt. Covington, former interim champion, former title challenger. So those three are probably the three best welterweights in the world. And you couldn't get it done against those three guys. That's a rough trilogy of fights that's a rough three set of fights again those are the three best guys in the world i think i don't know where the official rankings are at the moment for welterweight uh okay the official rankings has yeah it's those three you have usman champion covington and burns followed by edwards masvidal and thompson so y you fought the three best welterweights in the world and you couldn't get it done okay <laughs> you know, there's a degree of, you know, there's just some reality that has to be afforded to that. Vicente Luque, I have said repeatedly, is a significantly underappreciated fighter, which is true. He's also a guy who had taken those steps up in competition and had stumbled, be that against Leon Edwards or Stephen Thompson. That's... That doesn't go away. You know, there is still that kind of question about can Luke hang with the very best? And now you're losing to that guy. And I hope Luke gets a big fight coming out. He should he should be in the top 10 after this, and he should fight someone in the top. And this Because Woodley was 7th coming into this. Luke was 10th. So they, their places should have been swapped anyway, but for the sake of argument, swap them. At a bare minimum, Luke at 7th. He should be fighting uh, somebody near the top of that division. And maybe he stumbles again. Who knows? Maybe he's just not that guy. But he certainly earned that shot. So, yeah, Woodley, I don't know. I, I think he should seriously consider it. And if he doesn't retire right now, at a bare minimum... 
He's got less. He's he's got less than what? Less than five? Easily less than five. He might at most have three fights left. And I just think that's reality. And I don't know. Again, I don't know what he wants to do. That's all. And this happens to professional athletes of every every sport when they have to stop. Uh, there's a. There's actually a really nice line in the the movie Moneyball when one of the, I think it's one of the uh, talent scouts is talking with the young Billy and says, you know, you're, you're playing a game. We all did. And there's gonna, there comes a point for all of us when we're told you can't play the game anymore. And that's, that's just, tr- again, there's, there's no arguing with that. It is reality. And it might suck, but it is reality. You are, if you play football, you're playing a game and you're getting paid to do it. And at some point, given the average NFL career, sooner rather than later, assuming you even get there, someone's going to tell you, you can't play the game anymore. So uh, not like that. You know, I mean, you can, you know, what you do in your spare time is fine. But you, you, a lot of people coming out of college, like that's the last time they're going to play football at that level. And they know it. And it just, and it's a hard thing. It's just a really hard thing. I don't, I, I don't have a good, an, I don't have a good answer for what you should do with your life. I don't know how to tell you that. But I think it's at a Woodley right now, he has to consider that. Because the end is, if it's not here right now in this moment, maybe two more. Maybe. Unless you want to really go down being the the former UFC guy in other promotions. Uh, and maybe he does want to go down that road. Again, I don't know, but at 39, essentially, he'll be 39 when he fights next one way or the other. I, I just question whether or not it's worth it, you know? It's just something you have to ask yourself. Uh, so, biggest win of Vicente Luque's career. And get that man a... Again, it's hard to say he should... <clears throat> I don't know that Leon Edwards would go for a rematch with Luque. But... Those two fought years ago. How long ago did they fight? Uh, they fought in 2017. And you know, Lucas had a number of fights since then. He's had a lot of fights since then. Good grief. Ten fights? Uh, I think he's 10-1 and one since then. Only losing to Thompson. Uh, and given, especially given how Edwards and Bilal Muhammad played out, uh, look, it just sucks to be Leon Edwards at this. Uh, when it comes to this, it really does, and I, I don't envy the man. He didn't do anything to deserve the bad luck. But if he does need one more, you throw those two in a rematch as a main event for a fight night. You could do a lot worse. You could do a lot worse. All right. Um. I'm going to go a little bit quicker through the rest of these. <laughs> See, Sean O'Malley knocked out Thomas Almeida via 
punches, basically. 352 of the third. Well, look, you may not be a fan of O'Malley. Uh, I may not be a fan of O'Malley. And there might still be some questions to be asked about uh, you know, his future. But he's not an easy guy to fight. You know, the narrative that you can just kick his legs, uh-uh. That is not... That is not... Anytime... Anytime someone says, just do X, they don't really know what they're talking about. Uh, or they're just really, really bad at communicating. There's no just in fighting. Just jab, that, and you'll win. No. There's so much that goes into this. Might there still be an exploitable issue with O'Malley's legs and their durability? Yes. That doesn't mean that any any Jamoke at 135, and Thomas Almeida is not a Jamoke, could go out there and just throw a couple of calf kicks and, now oh, look, I beat Sean O'Malley. Uh-uh. Uh, O'Malley also, you know, he hits hard. He's a long guy for that division. I didn't real I knew he was a little bit long for it, but I didn't realize how much bigger he was. Like, he was... Almeida had nothing for him. Almeida could never navigate the distance. Uh, he was always running into stuff. Uh, he got dropped pretty bad in the first, nearly finished, but O'Malley wanted the walk-off, and Almeida got back up. Uh, we got it. You know, we got into the third, and he uh, drops him again with a really nice little kind of just slip left. Then this time stands over him and lands a punch, and ends the, you know just ends things. Uh, Look, I think Dominic Cruz said he might be interested in fighting O'Malley. I'd certainly be interested in that fight. Uh, look, again, I'm not advocating for you to be a fan of the guys. I'm, In terms of fans, I'm not personally a fan. But he's not someone you can dismiss. He's a, he's a relevant player in that division. How relevant still remains to be seen a little bit. Uh, but... He's not someone, he's not a, uh, he's not just a one-trick pony that is undone at the first sign of adversity. Yeah, maybe that's the way to put it. As for Almeida, he's probably looking at a pink slip. I mean, this was a guy who was in a title eliminator fight with Cody Garbrandt, essentially. He was undefeated, 21-0 coming into that fight. And the winner of that fight, I mean, it was... Garbrandt went on to fight for the belt, which he won. But the winner of that fight was probably getting a title shot. And Cody Garbrandt knocks the stuffing out of him in less than three minutes. Uh, he rebounded by beating uh, Albert Morales. Then, now he's on a four-fight losing streak. Had very little for Jimmy Rivera. Got head-kicked by Rob Font. Didn't have much for Jonathan Martinez. That was him trying his hand up at featherweight. After a, uh, what, 18-month layoff, give or take? Yeah, give or take. Wait, sorry. It was after an over two-year layoff. Like two and a half years, good grief. From January of 18 to October of 2020, so yeah. Over two years. Then now gets knocked out by O'Malley. He's probably done. Uh, and I, I can't argue with that, like... 
you got to win at some point. His last win was 2016. How long ago was that? It was November? Okay, November of 16, so... Not quite five years. You know, not quite five years, but over four. Uh, you just you kind of have to win at some point, man. He's generally exciting enough of a fighter that he might get one more, but... I mean, again, if you look at the bantamweights that he's lost to, and, and we're going to be fair, Garbrandt, former champion, Jimmy Rivera, at the time, certainly a top contender, might still be a top contender, Rob Font, top contender, and Sean O'Malley. Now, the, this is the most troubling, but he might get himself one more based purely on goodwill from the past, but... uh. Hang on, how is his UFC record overall, actually? Let me look at this. One, two, three, four, five. He is five and five in the UFC. If he does get one more, that is uh, that is win or go home, right? That's there's no two ways around that one. Miranda Maverick defeated Jillian Robertson via unanimous decision to 30-27s, one 29-28. I was 29-28, didn't agree with 30-27. I thought Robertson should have had the second. She had a lot of back control time, um, but. Maverick is no one to trifle with. She's physically very strong. I'm willing to get in the pocket and throw down. Uh, showed off some more def- some uh, defensive grappling uh, skills, her awareness of positions. So definitely pay attention to her. And kicking off the main card, Jamie Malarkey knocked out Kama Worthy 46 seconds of the first round. I don't have a whole lot for this one, man. Uh, Malarkey just hit a really nice kind of leaping left hook right on the end of the chin, and Worthy... His legs went out, he fell down, and we're done. <laughs> uh, Malarkey needed that. He was coming off, of, he, coming off of a no contest in his previous fight. It was originally a decision win for him, but he just... Uh, oh, sorry, I'm confusing Malarkey with, with another fighter. Uh, Malarkey... Yeah, was 0-2 in the UFC. So, needed the win, got it. I'm confusing him with Marc-Andre Barria, who we'll get to later. Uh, good win for Malarkey. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was your main card. Only one fight went the distance. Uh, we had some good fights. I, I don't have very many complaints about that card. Uh, look, my only complaint is that we lost Volkanovski and Ortega. If that fight held together, oh, talk about a killer main card, man. Say you bump like Miranda, like Maverick and Robertson down to the, I, uh, like you bump them to the prelims, and you replace that fight with Ortega at, with Volkanovski Ortega. Would have been a really, really good card, man. As it stands, again, no complaints. Uh, as for the prelims, Alonzo Menafield defeated Fabio Fabio Charant via Von Fluchoke, 111 of the first round. Manafield went for a double leg. Charant grabbed his head in a guillotine threat. Manafield took him down anyway. Charant did not let go of the head. The way he took it, the way Manafield took him down, he landed inside control. Locked it up from there. Low-level light heavyweights. Uh, I don't have anything else to say. Let's see. Um, Abuba Karnermagomedov defeated Jared Gooden via unanimous decision, 30-27 across the boards. Uh, Nurmagomedov here just better. 
better striker once he kind of got going there. Better wrestler. Uh, just better. See, Mikhail Oleksijic defeated Modestus Bukowskis via split decision, 29-28. Um, doing this live, I gave Oleksijic the first round, I which I don't agree with myself. <laughs> Looking back on that, just kind of going, nah, I don't think so. Um, a little bit surprised at the, th like, I was a little surprised at the split. I thought Oleksijic had the second and third pretty clearly. Um, Bukowskis, like, had a flurry at the end of the third to try and steal it, but I, I don't know. Uh, not a bad fight. Uh, not a great one, but eh, Oleksijic needed the win, and he was able to get it. Uh, Omar Morales defeated Shane Young via split dis uh, unanimous decision, excuse me, 30-27 across the board. Just not enough activity offensively from Young in any round. And kicking everything off, Marc-Andre Barrio defeated Abu Azaitar via TKO punches, 456 of the third. Azaitar had a decent first round, uh, but Barrio is a machine. Especially for a guy his size. Again, we're talking middleweights here. Just got in his face, kept up the pressure, kept going, kept going, kept going, kept going, and Azaitar just eventually crumbled under the weight of it. Barrio spent essentially the last three minutes of the third round in full mount pounding on this guy. Azaitar just did enough to not get stopped and not get stopped and then just kept getting worse and worse. Could have been stopped much earlier than it was, for my money. But, uh, uh, that's on the ref, and it, a little bit of it's on to Zaitar, who kept doing enough. Like anytime the ref would say, I need you to move, he'd start moving. The problem, I think, is, uh, for me, he'd move, but he wouldn't be able to do anything to actually better his position and the fact that you're still physically capable of movement is not as important in this case as are you in a position via either cardio or skill discrepancy to actually better your to actually better yourself, or yeah, I can move and I'm just going to get hit in the face 50 more times. I know where I fall on that particular spectrum, but again, I can I can understand how the ref arrived at the incorrect decision here. Uh, Barrio needed the win. His previous fight in the UFC, he'd won originally, but then failed a drug test, so no contest. Uh, yeah, he's Barrio is a rough grinder like this, man. You better pack a lunch. You just have to pack a lunch when you fight that guy. You can beat him. Um, again, he lost his first couple of fights in the UFC. First three, actually. All of them decisions. Well, kudos to him being tough. But, again... Beatable, but uh, not easy. <laughs> not easy at all. Anyway, that was UFC 260. So thank you all very much. Those of you who tuned in, be that live, uh, who read, uh, be that live along with my live coverage or after the fact, either way. I thank you very much for all of your support. Please let your friends know. Uh, share around the, you can share this stuff around and I would, I would really appreciate it if you would. All right, let us move on to some news. Uh, I'll start with this. Misha Tate, former UFC Women's Bantamweight Champion, unretired. She will have a comeback fight against Marion Renault. That will be Renault's retirement fight. And Tate says she still wants she wants another crack at the belt. She wants to fight Amanda Nunes. Um, Nunes, for the record. When they first fought, I thought Misha Tate would beat Amanda Nunes. Misha was the defending champion. 
My read on Nunez was that whilst Nunez was very dangerous, she fades. And I figured Tate would be a tough enough competitor to absorb a round or so of damage, mitigate some of it, and then just over the course of five rounds, take over. I was very wrong. Obviously, Amanda Nunes bludgeoned her and then tapped her out in the first round. Just ran... Nunes ran over Misha Tate like a truck and then proceeded to do the same to everyone else. Um... I, I've never been a, I've never been a fan of Misha's, all things considered, as, you know, as far as my fandom goes. If she wants another, Bantamweight is so bereft of interest that if she beats Renault, they might shoehorn her into the title picture, because why not? I think this would go, I think a rematch with Nunes goes even worse for Misha than their first fight did. Uh, I, I have no interest in it, but I'm not going to pretend that that's not something the UFC would consider. Uh, again, if she fights Misha, if Misha gets back to fighting Nunes, I'm sure Misha Tate lived a good life. Because <laughs> Nunes is going to end her again. Oof. Uh, Alright, let's move on to the... This one is, I'm going to include just because it amuses me. So the UFC announced that UFC 261 would... Uh, have a full capacity crowd, right? This is, they're returning to the Vice Star Veterans Memorial Arena in Jacksonville, Florida. For this, uh, for that event, they've it's a triple title fight thing, which is a very good card. I mean, that's a really good card. That's uh, Usman and uh, that's Usman and Masvidal in your main event, supported by Valentina Shevchenko and Jessica Andrade at women's flyweight. Great fight. And former strawweight champion Rosna Miunis against current champion uh, Zhang Weili for the strawweight belt. Also a great fight. Like those are three great fights. Well, UFC announced that they're going to they were going to have a crowd and it's going to be a full crowd. Uh, no social distancing. None of that. Just any, every yeah, every seat is available to be purchased and whatever the configuration is. Well. Unsurprisingly, they sold out. Uh, they have a sell- I think they announced uh, the UFC announced this is going to be the biggest, uh, ve- uh, biggest crowd for the venue, 15,000 give or take, I think. Uh, which obviously is a big win for the UFC, and they better really hope that nothing really bad happens in Florida before that event happens to potentially force a reconsideration of you know, the uh, that <laughs> of uh, <laughs> you know. The government being okay with <laughs> that kind of a thing, which it might, who knows. Florida's been very, I, I know everyone likes to meme on Florida for how they've handled this. Uh, I tend to think that Florida's kind of perpetually fluctuating response is the correct way to do it. Uh, I, I think that uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is very, very unfairly maligned in the media, for the record. I, not an endorsement of everything the man's done. I think he got a raw deal when it came to the you know, public perception and discourse around his, around how he handled things. But the UFC you know, sold out, and they have a little bit of a disclaimer on their tickets. Uh, now, this is not uncommon, for the record. But the what we have here in particular is the assumption of risk. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna read this. This is only part of it. Um, so I can find the full thing. Actually, hang on. Okay. So this is only part of it, but this amuses me, so I'm going to read it. Um, the holder fully understands and agrees that the holders travel to and from the uh, the event and the arena in which the event is held, the arena, uh, this is a legal definition, movement within the arena and attendance at the event, collectively the holder activities, may lead to exposure to COVID-19, and the contraction of COVID-19 may result in severe and permanent damage to the health of the holder and or others, including but not limited to death, fever, weight loss, irreversible pulmonary, respiratory, and or neurological system damage, loss of taste or smell, mental or emotional distress, temporary or permanent disability, loss of income, loss of employment, loss of financial or other opportunities, medical expenses, which may or may not be covered by insurance, cleaning expenses, mandatory self-quarantine, loss of licenses and similar approvals by any regulatory or self-regulatory body to which the holder or any of the releasing parties is defined below is subject, investigation and or prosecution by civil, criminal, or other regulatory authorities and other harms, and lost opportunities, whether economic, whether economic, reputational, or otherwise, collectively the harms. The holder acknowledged that even if the holder fully recovers from COVID-19, a brief or prolonged illness, uh, yada, yada, yada. This is, the, this is the disclaimer that you, uh, are, you are agreeing to these things if you've purchased a ticket, if you're one of the 15,000 people that bought a ticket to see this event live and in person. This is your legal disclaimer. Straight up, out in the open, this might kill you and lead to the deaths of your family. And I've, you've, I, this is not, I, I'm not talking the politics here. I've been, ba I've, I think I've been as fair as I can be when it comes to discussing how the UFC has handled this. And I'm not here saying that it, that at the moment we shouldn't be potentially looking at reopening more than we are. <coughs> I'm not... I, I'm not here to preach the politics of the pandemic one way or the other. I am here to say that this being part of the legal agreement that you enter into when you buy this ticket is... When I say remarkable, I don't mean positive remarkable. It is a, it is astonishing. It is something worthy of remark and note. <laughs> that is, that's a thing, man. Look, and I'm not going to say one way or the other if anyone wants, I'm not here to preach to you. I'm really not. I, if I had the ability, would I go? about that for a minute. Hmm. To 261? I might. I'm not vaccinated yet, but uh, I actually should be signing up for it. Uh, yeah, end of the month. My state's making, a, my, my state is now kind of you know, making the vaccine available to every, I think now everyone over the age of 16. So I should be putting my name on the less like hey i'm ready willing and able uh, but i think if i were vaccinated even if i wasn't i might 
I mean this in a professional capacity. Like if 411 said, hey, we're sending you to Jacksonville to cover this. Which they aren't and they won't, but uh, just hypothetically. Yeah, I might. Which might speak more to my uh, lack of self-preservation than anything else, but uh, for the record, I might. I might at that. All right, uh, let's see. Last thing here. I think the last thing. We'll check Twitter afterward per usual. Uh, we have a little bit of clarity around the UFC lightweight division, sort of. Um, Dana White was asked about this, and his story is as follows. They offered Dustin Poirier a fight for the vacant lightweight title. Poirier declined, unknown whether this is timing, whether, what this is related to, whether it was just on a timetable or he genuinely would rather fight Connor or something in his contract means that Connor gets the Connor fight gets him more money, whatever. Point is, they offered it to Dustin, according to Dana, and for whatever reason, he declined. If this is true, and it's coming from Dana, so take it with a lot of, so take it with, you know, however much salt you feel necessary. But if true, then that's really all I wanted out of this was that Poirier was given the opportunity. And if he declined for whatever reason, then fair play. Um, Justin Gaethje came out this week and went a little bit, boy, I don't know who I pissed off. Dana, Dana's response to that at this point was, eh, Gaethje's actually in a really good position, which is not necessarily true. But he kind of intimated that, well, whoever wins between Chandler and Oliveira, both of whom... I'm not complaining about that fight. If you listened to the show a few weeks ago, I did not complain about it in the sense that I think it's a bad fight. But he said, you know, Gaethje will probably be next for whoever wins that fight. I find that unlikely, unless there's a timing issue with Poirier and McGregor. If Poirier beats McGregor again... He's fighting for the belt. So again, unless the timing does not work out to the point where you would have to do something like, you know, you have Chandler Oliveira, whoever wins that for the sake of argument and argument only, let's say Chandler. So Chandler wins not long after you get Poirier McGregor three and you want to keep Chandler busy enough in the interim. Then you do Poirier, then you do Chandler and Gagey with the winner of that fighting Poirier. Maybe, but uh, again, I can't take Dana White seriously when it comes to stuff like this. And that's not just Dana. There's too many moving parts for any of this to be anything more than a loose outline of what might possibly happen. There's just too much. Look, if I'm not, if Chandler fails a drug test, I'm not accusing him of anything for the record. But people fail drug tests. If uh, if Oliveira gets COVID, if Poirier and uh, if Connor gets arrested again, I mean, again, there's any number of things that could happen. One of them gets injured. All we're doing, for, if you're the UFC, is a loose outline, and just kind of going, all right, we sure hope things play out. Uh, so we do, point being, we have a little bit of clarity at lightweight. We're probably looking at Poirier-McGregor 3. We already know about Chandler and Oliveira. And, uh, yeah, that that's just kind of where we are. So, But we do have some clarity about the circumstances going forward, so that's good. All right, let's take a look at 
Twitter, see if anything crazy broke while this has been going on, and if not, we will go ahead and get out of here.
All right. Uh, oof. Hope that wasn't a lot. I thought that was just my mouse freaking out there. Anyway, let's go ahead and get into plugs. And uh, hope that I didn't leave you guys with a bunch of silence there. All right. Uh, I had a busy week last week. There was a Damn You Hollywood for... Oh, crap, what was it? <laughs> I gotta look it up. Because uh, I had a bunch of stuff that I... I did, a few, I did a fair number of podcasts last week. So there's this show. Let's see, what did I do? Oh, the Justice League. That was it. We did a Damn You Hollywood for Zack Snyder's Justice League cut over on Damn You Hollywood on the Rattlechen Broadcasting Network. There was a TV party for WandaVision, uh, the Disney Plus show that, wrap, uh, that wrapped up not that long ago. And I was part of both of those, so you can feel free to check those out if you want my thoughts on stuff beyond MMA. This coming week, see AEW Dark Elevation on Monday because someone has to, I guess. MLW, MLW has their Never Say Never event uh, this Tuesday, I seem to recall, or Wednesday rather. Sorry, this Wednesday. So I will be covering that, and I think I'll be reviewing that on a podcast with Mark and one of the one of his wrestling buddies. I forget which one. They're all named Chris. <laughs> uh, there's just... I don't remember if it's ba Chris Bailey or Chris Sheehan. It's one of those two. So you can find me there. Uh, on the 30th, there will be a TV party for the Netflix anime limited series, only seven episodes long, Pacific Rim the Black. Because it's Pacific Rim week on the Rattletion Broadcasting Network, so that's our contribution to it. We'll have a look at that. That'll be fun. That'll be me, Mark Rattletion, and David Wright. So, be on the, so, again, if you're interested, be on the lookout for that. Um, then Friday, WWE SmackDown, per usual, as the road to WrestleMania continues. And Edge goes full Kubrick. <laughs> Never, uh, so, you can tune in for those things if you're so interested. You can find most of my written work in four, on 411Mania and the MMA and Wrestling Zones. You can find a lot of my other podcasting stuff on the Rattlech and Broadcasting Network. We're a subgroup of the W2M Network. So you can find those wherever you find podcasts, like this one. Wherever you're listening to this one, you can find Damn You Hollywood TV Party. Just uh, look for the look for W2M Network, and you'll find us. All right. Uh, that's it. Pretty sure that's it for me. Uh... Yeah, I'll be back here next week. You know, no UFC event this Saturday, so a very rare Saturday off. Next week, I will be back here to preview UFC on ABC2. This event has 15 fights on it. And is headlined by middleweights Darren Till and Marvin Vittori. Which is not a bad fight, so I will see you all then. God, Julian Marquez and Sam Alvey are on the main card of that. Why? Just why? That whole card, man. There's so much that... 15 fights is just too much. For the record, too much. But, alright, that's it for me. Thank you all very much for being here. Uh, for like, again, liking, commenting, sharing, all of it. See you next week. Until then, stay safe out there, and please continue to be well, be safe, and behave.